remember when I had a voice but didn't use it They were singing to me but I ignored my muses I finally found silence and I started listening And out of body experience what I was witnessing Welcome to the Gunny's Guys Podcast Powered by More Benefit Resources The show that shares the stories of veteran entrepreneurs and resources That will help inspire and guide your own personal journey and transition from the military Everyone needs a gunny even on the other side of the DD214. I'm here to be that mentor behind the microphone. Enjoy the show. Yo, yo, what's up, guys? I um really excited today. We just got off the podcast, so we're recording this like immediately after we talked to Drew, who is uh who is the guy you're gonna be hearing us talk to and, and really get a bunch of good information out of today. Um, get a notebook, you have something to write with. He throws out more solutions and organizations and, and, and important points of contact than I could keep up with. So we uh, just really excited to talk to him today. Jason, what do you think about that conversation we just had? Yeah. Uh, it pioneered so many avenues of approach that you would have never thought of and put some things together and, an incredible way and you can also see uh some of the struggles and some of the places where uh there are still roadblocks that keep him from achieving what he'd like um in a very real time sense so uh stand by to be inspired and to be brought in and be drawn in to his process and look for ways to help and ways for us and and drew to be of service to you yeah so um Without further ado, we'll kick this thing off, and uh, welcome to another edition of Gunny's Guys, powered by More Benefit Resources. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, another episode of Gunny's Guys. Really excited to talk to uh, to Drew Stamp. Um, Drew, this is a little different than normal. Drew is still active duty Army. He's currently with 3rd Special Forces Group. Uh, you know, he's an active duty soldier, but he is also the program director for Janus. And we're excited to learn more about Janice. They, they specialize in helping the veteran uh, population transition. And they also have a special uh, twinge on the personal finance side. So we're really excited to go down those paths because all those things are important. Um, Drew, welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really cool to be here. I'm a superfluous CEO of Drew, so I just inject uh, absolutely unnecessary things and questions throughout. Hey, so, everyone needs uh, a peanut gallery. That's right. Uh, it's nice. It's nice to meet you, man. I we usually like to kick it off with that infamous question of uh, why'd you join? Man, good question. Now I'm thinking: Do I give an honest answer or like a canned answer? You know, we got to end the interview if it's canned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, all, I always wanted to serve and uh, you guys are like this. So when I was a senior in high school, I tried to join the Marine Corps, um, but uh, I was only 16 and this was in 03. So, you know, Iraq had just kicked off. I needed parents permission and there's no way they were, they were okay in that. So, but I always was fascinated with, with soldiers and army and things like that since I was a kid. Um, they basically told me, hey, go to college like your plan was. And then if you still want to do it, you can do it then. I think they were hoping I'd, I'd forget about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then when I graduated college, I immediately, I mean, I immediately looked into ways I could do it um, and go back and serve some way. So I, uh, I, I completed a nine month course in Russia 
as like a postgraduate program, an intensive Russian language study program, and came back and just started looking at different options. I looked at the Navy. I think I actually applied to the Navy and didn't get picked up. Um, and I met an Army recruiter. My best friend was getting ready to join the Army with an OCS contract. And uh, Army recruiter told me about the, what's called the 18 X-ray contract, which is uh, you know Special Forces initial accession contract. And said, hey, you could do this. You know, these guys are all supposed to speak other languages. You, you, you say you speak Russian, so uh, you seem fit. Why don't you give it a shot? So I started reading about it. And I was really drawn to the aspect of embedding with foreign cultures and, and kind of immersing, immersing yourself in those experiences, um, different populations to, to kind of learn more about that group from within. And so that was an easy sell for me. I mean, I knew I was going to serve at some point. I just didn't know where. Um, and so that's that's the reason why. Uh, when you say serve, it, it sounds like perhaps that's even a little more general in your life than just military service. I, uh, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the five love, love languages? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, where where do you where do you rate? What's your top love language? Um, good question. I think I think it is acts of service. I think that's like my top one. It might be words of affirmation. You know what I mean? Love to have my ego stroked. Well, you're doing a great job so far. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I feel so I feel so loved. My book is <laughs> They forgot to put the word genuine at the top. <laughs> Words of affirmation. Yeah, that's right. No, um, I, I appreciate that. So you always sure. knew you were going to serve, Drew. Yeah, and, and it's funny that you, you bring that up just, you know, with the word to serve, right? Because um, going through my own transition, and as you pointed out, I'm still active duty, but but going through and kind of doing that in, intentional work and planning prior to actually exiting the military, I've learned more about myself through those curriculums as far as what are my core values that drive me, right? And one of those core values is service and serving others. And so I'm only realizing this now as I'm as I'm discussing with you guys, but that really is is critical to understanding what drives me, right? What motivates me? Because I knew I was going to serve. I found a way to do it in the military. And now I'm continuing to do it every single day. I'm helping guys out every single day with transition, with personal finance, with whatever I can. Um, and, and what we're teaching other guys in the transition curriculum, it's like, look, if you don't understand your core values, you have to take time to figure that out. We don't necessarily know it intuitively. And it, it's worth your time to figure it out because you, you, otherwise you find yourself in a job where those values aren't really being upheld or being you know, exhibited or stroked and you'll find yourself miserable. And if they're being violated, I mean, you've seen it. It's catastrophic, right? You know, you can only handle that so much. So um, I think it's important you pointed that out. No, absolutely. That just comes from a lot of like intro, introspective self-research as well. You're, uh, we spend our lives trying to figure that out. Or if we haven't, then shame on us. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of great to hear that there's a certain level of the military that's actually identifying and directing that. You think that's mm -hmm. specifically Army or is that a generic program. We, we haven't transitioned off active duty in a while. So is that kind of a general program that they're instituting now? Are you, uh, no, the answer is no. These are, this is primarily achieved through nonprofits and the nonprofits like that are out there. Com Commit Foundation is a big one. They serve all branches. Uh, the Honor Foundation is exclusive for special operations forces. Um, there's organizations like that that have kind of, I guess they've seen the light. And so their curriculums, their framework will help a soldier or service member figure that out. Because like I said, we don't know it intuitively. In my opinion, unless you're incredibly self-aware or maybe you've gone through a curriculum with a, your wife at a marriage conference or a church mm -hmm. or something, you just don't know these things, right? And there's so strengths assessments, there's DISC assessments, there's Berkman personality tests, there's all these tools out there. 
And some of these organizations are basically saying, hey, we're going to give you these tools. We're going to line you up with coaches. We're going to help you figure this out because it may be the difference of you being fulfilled in your transition or completely miserable. And did you, are you going through the Honor Foundation training? Is that a package that you're subscribed to as part of your transition? No, I haven't. I haven't gone through their, their curriculum. Um, but, but I, I, I know what they're doing. I believe in what they're doing. I think it's a good program. Uh, we've brought them out. So the Janus program has brought them out to run workshops for us. Um, and, and they do a great job. I mean, it's not for everybody, but it's for a lot of folks, especially in the soft community. I mean, most of our folks, it's, it's exactly what they need to hear. Um, they package it really well. They're all real polished coaches and in, in most of them are vets, you know, so they understand and they get it. And, um, once the service member kind of takes the need to, to be vulnerable and humble a little bit and listen to someone else, there's an incredible amount of learning that can take place. So mm -hmm. the workshops for us, I mean, really, that's where the magic happens. When we get guys sitting down in the workshop, that's when they're their first experience with, oh, wow, th there's something else driving me. It's not just about, you know, being on a team. There's, there's a core value in there that I'm stroking. And once I, once I dial in on that, I can have a better success rate in finding how to replicate that outside. You tapped on the, the humility element too as a success factor. That's something we'll have to circle up on. So, mm -hmm. so tell me, uh, did your recruiter lie to you or did everything work out the way it was supposed to with your soft contract? Um, good, good question. No, I, I think uh, it's hard to remember. I was so eager to join. I mean, I wasn't a really a tough sell for him. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I don't think, I really don't think he lied at all. I think- uh, First guy ever, Drew. <laughs> you lead a charmed here, life, my friend. Here's the thing, like, especially with Army, I would say, you know, you're, you're, most of your recruiters, I would venture to say 99.9% .9 of them, um, they're not going to be special operations. And, and most likely they're not going to be SF specifically. So he didn't know a lot about it. And to me, that was appealing. It's like, okay, the fact that he can't tell me a lot, he can only tell me what he'd seen on deployment. And what he saw on deployment was, in his words, very professional soldiers who cared about what they did. And everyone kind of wanted to be around them, not necessarily because it was cool, but because they just really took good care of each other and they were really good at their job. That's what I wanted. You know what I mean? I was, I was a college graduate. I didn't want to be an officer. Um, I just, I wanted to be around people that, that cared. You know what I mean? And, and so that's what drew me to it. And in that sense, he absolutely didn't lie. I'm sure there was something he told me about the SF life that, that maybe I, I, as a 23 year old, I probably got excited about and maybe was disappointed, but nothing comes to mind. So no, no that's, that's fine. Is, it's good to know. It's good to know. There's at least one great recruiter out there, Drew, that, uh, yeah, well, that's well, actually a around. real heartwarming story. Did, uh, and Marines are a different story, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where that, that was whole... the first recruiter I talked to remember was a Marine. I, when I was still in high school. Yeah. And you knew they were lying. Yeah, I mean, it didn't. Something seemed, something seemed too good to be true on that one. <laughs> oh, shout out to all my Marine recruiters. Uh, all right, so what? So what happens after that, man? Talk us through the the military career highlights, lowlights. Yeah, I mean, the, for for me, it was it was pretty um, streamlined. I mean, I went to basic training, infantry school, airborne. That's all like a Fort Benning package. I think it's 15, 18 weeks, something like that. And then you come to Fort Bragg and you start the an SF prep course that prepares you for selection. That's a three weeks. Then you go to selection, which is another three weeks. Um, and if you get selected, you start the training in the special forces qualification course, the Q course, we call it. Um, and that's usually another 12 to 18 months, depending on what job you choose or what job they assign you. And, and that was that, like, I didn't have any issues. I didn't recycle or anything. So I made it through, I, I think I graduated in April of 2012 and I joined in March, 
2010. So relatively streamlined within, you know, just about two years, I had a green beret and I went to third group, um, went to my first team. It was a, a combat dive team, which is what I wanted mainly because I'm just, uh, I'm just really frugal, really cheap. And if you're a combat diver and you're qualified, you get 215 extra dollars a month for dive pay. So that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what drove me to the dive team, you know, but oh, that's ridiculous. Was, yeah, yeah. I was incredibly blessed to have a, a really strong leader, uh, team sergeant, my first team sergeant who really mentored me and kind of shepherded me through teaching me what SF was and what it wasn't because, you know, there's bad actors out there in every organization. And so he was really good to show me uh, what I should be intentional about in terms of guarding um, not just my reputation, but but my capability as a soldier, because some of that stuff that some of those roads you can go down aren't good for your career. You know what I mean? And I don't I don't mean UCMJ. I just mean it's not going to make you productive long term. Um, so it was great to have that early on. Um, I did, I think, five years on the dive team, a couple combat deployments, um, got injured on one of the deployments and was married. And, and she, my wife really wasn't OK with the uh, with, with with combat after that. She she essentially said, hey, you, you can't convince me this is not a dangerous job anymore. You've been shot. Um, so we got to start looking at something else. So I, I went to a, a different route um, and uh, kind of operating by myself in, in less less dangerous environments and did that for a few years. But that wasn't enough, honestly, for her. She was uh, still not OK with it. She's still worried about me a lot. At this point, we were having I think we had already had our second kid. And I just looked at it uh, kind of I looked at it from a from a bird's eye perspective of, hey, what am I going to think about when I'm when I'm 60? Um, and I'd seen a lot of guys and, and their marriages failed. And, um, you know, everyone has their own story, of course, but but being close with these guys, I honestly thought that a lot of it was in their hands and it was responsibility they were failing to take as, as leaders of their family. And so I said, look, you don't want me to do this anymore, then I'll hang it up. So I, I volunteered to go to SWIC, which is our training center where we train all the special operations folks. Um, and that's where I'm assigned to now. And that's, that's what brought me here actually was, was volunteering to go to SWIC and say, if this downtime of no deployments doesn't get us to where I can go back, then I'll just retire, you know, I'll, I'll ETS from there. And that's, that's what pretty much brings us here. Okay, man. Um, fast, how, how, how's the recovery at this point? Like, are, are you, are you back to close to hundred percent? Are you still suffering some, some? Problems? No, no. And, and I'll never be, I mean, physically, I'm never going to be hundred percent. There's just some permanent damage. So I had a bullet go through my right arm and it shattered my radius. And so they had to put a plate in. Then I had some bone growth that came, which they said was natural, but it, it, it don't feel too natural, but uh, I can't, I can't turn my wrist a certain way to, to, to imagine like the way you'd have to position your wrist to play the piano or to, or to type on a keyboard. I can't do that. Um, and so it's, it limits my ability to hold a weapon properly or to type for long periods of time. I have to kind of come out at the shoulder. Um, and all of that is just over the last seven years, it's caused a degradation in my shoulder capabilities, um, it, which affects your back, which affects your gait. I got shot in the foot also, and that brings me problems from time to time. Um, so I would say, you know, if we're comparing me to, to other folks, I'm doing quite well. But in terms of where I was before the injury, no, nah, and I'll never be back there. And that's okay with me. Um, I mean, like, like most folks, I'm sure you talked to, I, I feel very lucky to, to be here, be alive, and for the most part, can do what I need to do. So, Not everybody, you might be surprised at this, but not everybody we talk to is uh, special forces, Drew. Mm. Uh, so a lot of the character building opportunities come from the, the general insights and training from the military and not uh, necessarily such a direct correlation with combat inflicted mm -hmm. injuries and so on so um Good point. uh we uh in terms of the conversations that we have any 
insight you have and mentally pushing through some of those challenges because uh, you obviously have a very positive mental attitude. Yeah. Uh, the the times that were low and the and how uh, at least maybe the lowest and then how you push through those are I, I think very helpful to those that still sit at that level and are trying to claw their way out. Do you yeah. do you have any uh, do you have any of those moments where it was very challenging? Why me? Um, Self doubt. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I really don't. I, I don't. I think from the very beginning, I, I had a positive outlook on it. Part of that is probably my faith. Um, part of that is just the the, ram, the actual facts of the incident. So it was an engagement where two people were killed, um, and so I, I could, you know, it was really easy for me to have perspective on my injuries. It's like, okay, I I got shot. I you know shattered some bones but I'm okay. These guys, these guys aren't, you know what I mean? So I think that aspect made it easy for me. I'm, I'm very much, I think that's what helps with my optimism is I'm good at, at having that perspective without having the whole survivor's guilt type thing that hasn't affected me much. Um, but I'll, I'll say more than anything, I would say besides my faith is just having a support network, having other people there that you can talk to about what happened, that you can ask questions about, that you can share stories with. Um, my friends who've face similar injuries or worse injuries or, or, or not worse injuries, um, you know, the whole spectrum. Um, the ones who are struggling the most, in my opinion, they're lacking with their support network. You know what I mean? They're just, they don't have the support structure in place, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's church, they just don't have the right community in place to kind of get them through these, those downtimes. Um, that's why I think what you guys are doing is great. What, you know, the programs that I'm working on, all those different organizations that are trying to streamline that and make it, make those communities more accessible, make Gunny more accessible to the guy, the, to the veteran. That's, that's, that's the right, you know, that's a step in the right direction. That's what we need to be doing. Love it. Couldn't say it, couldn't say it any better ourselves, my friend. <laughs> Drew, you're, uh, you tapped into really where I wanted to go next. And that is where you draw that perspective from that strength from it sounds like you got a super tough cookie for a wife uh and i'm sure a little bit more in the depth of the family uh for those veterans that that don't have that level of support um you mentioned faith can you can you draw on that can you kind of allude to how that has helped you your your faith has has provided that support network when maybe none of your support network was even able to be there so I'm actually giving a, uh, I'm, I'm preaching on Sunday at my church and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this and I've never preached a sermon before. So it's kind of interesting, but um, you, you know, this might, this will end up probably being a long winded answer, right? But here, here's, 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 here's what I think. When guys come into an organization like special forces, and I think the Marines is no different. And I, I know it's not actually, because I've hung out with enough of y'all. It's, it's hammered into your brain. You're a Marine, you're a Marine, you're a Marine. That's why you never hear someone say, I was a Marine. You know, they, they say, I'm a Marine, even if they've been out for 30 years. Okay, and that's great because you have to have, you have to couple, you have to bond to that identity as a Marine, as a Green Beret early on. One, if you don't, you'll be rejected by the tribe. You know what I mean? If you're not willing to say, I am a Marine and I'm not willing to say I'm a Green Beret, then what team would want me? Because they need to know that I'm all in. It doesn't matter if I have a, a daughter or a son or someone with special needs. I got to go home early. Irrelevant. They, they don't want me in the tribe. I, that's got to be first. So that's one. The number two reason is because it's life or death, right? It's, it's, it's life or death. Your identity as a Marine and the training that you've received 
or as a Green Beret, that's what's going to save your life when you go deploy downrange to a dangerous place. So I think those two factors are what cause us to bond to that identity. And I think that's okay. I think it's natural. I think where we start to see the problem, especially from what I've seen with guys who don't have that faith, they don't have that higher power of faith, that spiritual connection, is they let that identity consume them and they never build any other identities. So they're a Marine and that's all they know and that's all they want. Same with Green Beret, same with SF or any branch of special operations that I've worked with. It's like after a few years, um, you become a lot more efficient at your job, right? And uh, you're able to do things in an hour that used to take you six hours. Okay, so that's great. You're out of that journeyman status now. You can begin to focus on just being a well-rounded human. You don't have to be all in every single day, right? Maybe you've moved up in leadership and you're able to adjust your time differently. Now you can join a hunting club or now you can get your pilot's license or you can start doing things at church. You can teach personal finance classes, whatever it is, you start to build out these other identities. But for most of us, we never decouple from that identity as a Marine, as a Green Beret, as a soldier. And we say we stay so strongly bonded to it that that's our only identity. And so we end up letting what we do become who we are. And this is where this becomes a problem because one day you're gonna sign out, you're gonna leave, you're gonna transition, you're gonna retire. And what happens is your identity just got taken away because the world doesn't need Marines. The world doesn't need Green Berets. They need you with the traits that you bring as a Marine for sure, but they don't need a Marine. The job vacancy doesn't say wanted Marine, wanted Green Beret. So that's where I think the faith in higher power comes because part of my faith as a Christian is my identity comes from Christ. I'm made in God's image and that's where I draw my identity. So for me, I don't need any convincing for someone to tell me, look, you are more than just a Green Beret. But I would say that 70% of the folks that I talk to, and I've talked to hundreds of them now since we started this program a year ago, when I talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, that's the biggest issue they have is, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. This is all I've known because they've let, what, in my opinion, are the three pillars of a successful transition, purpose, identity, and network. They've let all three be tied to their job or their identity as a Green Beret. And one day when you take all that away, they've got nothing. I mean, how can you have a successful transition when your network is Green Berets, your purpose is the mission that's handed to you by your Green Beret friends, and your identity is I'm a Green Beret. Is that, the, is that the sermon, Drew? <laughs> I'll just stretch it out a little longer, you know. Incorporate I don't know if you do. Out. Just dismiss church <laughs> early, man. Amen. I That is what you just said, I just feel like is, and I know we're all passionate about the transitioning military mm -hmm. veteran and, and the one yeah. that, that needs that assistance. But I just think that's so relevant to life, whether you're a bricklayer, an investment banker, or Green Beret or Marine. Exactly right. Um we all need we all need that diversity in our identity and the universal identity is the Lord Jesus Christ and that faith. So that that is an incredible space to pivot from. I, I really appreciate that answer, Drew. And I think it was worth waiting for a little bit for. Okay. Yeah, and if that's <laughs> if that's like the first time you do something, that's um you're making us feel pretty bad because that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Excellent. I, uh, so, I mean, you, you hit on this and we haven't gone down this path. Tell, tell us more about Janice. You, you brought it up a few times. Let, let's, let's talk about that. Cause I know it's something that you're super passionate about and, and putting a lot of time into. I'd love to know when it clicked in your mind, when that kind of, that, that first time you sort of put it together at the Nexus. Well, so what happened was, um, I had gone through the commit foundation curriculum and I was in a, um, a special unit, if you want to call it that, where I was on like a, 
uh, not on the open system. So I was highly, highly discouraged from having social media and things like that. And then suddenly I'm in this transition space where everyone's saying, hey, you, you know, you're a nobody if you're not on LinkedIn, you got to at least make a LinkedIn. And so I'm, I'm trying to learn the, the ropes, you know, and, and get on LinkedIn and, and see what I got to learn about these different, um, these new things, basically, right? I've been in a hole for 11 years. Um, and I connected with a guy who, I don't, I honestly couldn't tell you the reason why his name was Paul. Uh, I don't know why I connected with him specifically, but I didn't even really know that he was in the military from reading his profile. Um, and then found out that he's actually a deputy group commander, which is like a brigade level command in the organization I was working in, in SWIC. And was thinking how the heck, you know, this guy seems to really manage his identity well. It's not even up and in your face when you look at his LinkedIn page, you know, and he's a deputy commander. So I uh, connected with him and asked if I could come by some time to chat because he was very open and welcoming on his profile. So we met, we really hit it off, had a great conversation. Um, we followed up a couple of weeks later, he invited me to lunch and said, hey, look, I, uh, the commander and I want to build a unit level transition assistance program. And you seem to be doing the right things in your own transition. I think you could build that into a template for others and share that with others because our guys don't know what they don't know. And it'd be great if you could kind of teach that to them. And so um, I, I told him, I said, hey, you know, that's great. Um, I appreciate the offer. Let me talk to my wife. I said, we're going to pray about this because this is significant. And, and I'll, I'll caveat real quick too with before I even went to meet that guy in person, um, I, I, had a, I had the craziest feeling. I, I can't describe it to you. You guys have probably felt it if you're believers, right? Um, I told my wife, I said, listen, I want to pray about this meeting before, we even, before I even go and meet this guy because there's something significant that's going to happen. So anyway, so we went and had this meeting. We hit it off and um, Stephanie and I, my wife and I, we talked we both felt good about that opportunity. So I accepted, went into, I got reassigned essentially to his unit and started building this program. And, and he, he did what um, really great commanders do. And he just trusted his NCOs. He just said, Hey, look, this is the vision that we have. And I think you're the guy to do it. So that's it. I'm not going to really check in with you unless you need something from me, go, go forth and do great things, you know, um, which is exactly how I best operate. I mean, that's, that's why I've been drawn to SF. That's why I was drawn to operating as a singleton, um, that's just where I thrive. And so, you know, there was a lot of trial and error. Um, I eventually set up like a Calendly account and started making myself accessible to people who are getting ready to transition at Fort Bragg. So it was like, hey, if you're getting out in the next three years, click here and you can schedule an appointment with me. Come see me in my office and we'll talk. I was sharing an office with two other people at the time and we'll talk transition. Um, and, and, you know, it eventually grew to the point where I was booked two months out. And so we started doing these workshops where I would bring in the Honor Foundation or the Commit Foundation or, or someone else who can provide the framework I mentioned early on in the discussion that, that I don't know. I, I mean, it, I could fumble through it, but really I'm not an expert in walking a guy through discovering his own values, right? But they are. So I'll outsource that because in my opinion, they're some of the best at it. So, you know, we started tying in the workshops, the mentoring, and then I kind of realized I'm, I'm just, I'm a serial connector. I love to make introductions and introduce other people. If I think that their relationship is going to go forward somewhere and they're going to create something incredible or innovate in some way. I want to make that connection. And so I'm always thinking that way. Um, and so Paul is the same way. He loves to connect people. We said, look, this, there's a, we're building an ecosystem here because we've got all these veterans that are, that are using our services. We're helping them to transition out and be fulfilled. They're going to go do great things. And then they're going to want to mentor others. And that's going to give them that something to look forward to, whether it's coming back and being a guest on one of our panels whether it's getting involved with some type of other nonprofit or a fundraiser, but it gives them something to look forward to in, throughout the year to connect back into this tribe. Because I talked about, remember that meaningful network is important in transition. I'm not saying you got to dismiss all those old Marines you were friends with, right? You have to reconnect to them. 
Um, but we're going to provide a venue for that in addition to it. So that's kind of how it's grown. I mean, now I'm, uh, I was asked to come out to 10th group back in April, I think March or April, went out to 10th group at Fort Carson, Colorado, um, had a couple meetings with them. They wanted me back in a few weeks to do a mini workshop. Paul and I built kind of an off the shelf workshop delivery we could do where we essentially brief in the morning, talk all kinds of stuff on transition and personal finance. And then the afternoon we offer one-on-one -on -one consults that they can book with us where I have those same conversations that I've had with people at Fort Bragg. I sit down with them for 45 minutes, hear about what they're going through and can recommend resources because that's the biggest thing, right? Is they don't know where to go. And I can say, Hey, look, you want to become an entrepreneur? Here's some of the best organizations that help vets become entrepreneurs. Oh, and by the way, let me introduce you to three people who are doing something very similar. So you can kind of jumpstart your networking. Um, so we, we do that package. We did that in first week of May. Now they're having us back out in August to do a full workshop for them. So we're going to bring out the Honor Foundation and structure an entire four-day curriculum for their transitioning soldiers. And it's going to be partnered with Sock North as well, which is in Colorado. So it's growing. That, where do you start? Like the introduction is the uh, Strength Finder, is the uh, that Myers-Briggs uh, mm -hmm. platform, is that at the beginning of your the introduction period or is that not part of it right now? Right now it's not. I mean, so right now, because I, I get to talk to people across the whole spectrum. I mean, I talk to some folks who are nowhere near developing a resume because they have no idea what they want to do. I have other folks that I think are going to benefit more from some type of behavioral health treatment, right? Or, or some type of treatment for TBI before they can really go forward and do it because it's hard to even have a conversation with them. And what they need is one of their peers to say, hey, it's okay, man. I went and got treated for this too. Like, let, let's go do this. Um, so I see the whole spectrum. What I like to do first is just, I just sit down with them and I say, so what are you thinking? What, what are you thinking about transition? Some people pitch me a well-rehearsed plan. It's like they're, they're looking for angel investors, you know, and they're like, well, this is what I want to do. I, com I complete my master's next June. Um, I want to start an internship with John Deere and I want to start working for them next February. And I'm like, great. And I'll, I'll ask some prodding questions to kind of confirm that's what they want. But some folks are very self-aware. They know, they know where their heart lies. They know what their values are. Um, it's rare, but some of them are. And then it's just a matter of, okay, great. Who can I introduce you to? How do I, how do I help you get there? Others, and most of them, I would say, they sit down and I say, so what do you think? And they say, I have no idea what I want to do when I grow up. I hear all these things. I know that Amazon's hiring soft people and uh, you know Google wants SF guys. And I hear all this stuff, but I have no idea how to do that. And so that's when I kind of start hitting them with cold water. And it's like, hey, yeah, Amazon would probably hire you to run a warehouse, you know, if that's what you want to do. But, but what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. Okay, well, what did you love doing in the army? You spent 20 years in the army. Surely it wasn't all a great experience, right? Like what was what were the best times? What were the times when you were, you know, experiencing what they call flow, right? Like you didn't notice time going by because you were just in the zone and you loved it. Was that on a team? Was it deployed? Was it working with indigenous populations? Uh, was it back here training a junior or mentoring or planning training? Because you start to ask those questions, you can hone in on what do they like, right? Maybe maybe they they love HR. Maybe they loved onboarding new guys onto the team. They loved handling the med records of the team and the admin type role way more than they love combat or deploying. Well, that's great. That's insightful for me. And I can say, hey, look, here's some organizations that we, that we partner with that we recommend. Uh, my recommendation to you is you sign up for their curriculum and go through it. And I'll share my own story of how it helped me. Because I was, man, I mean, look, I'm, I'm fluent in Russian. I'm fluent in French. I have an MBA. And my Spanish and Ukrainian is pretty good too. Um, I, I was like... I was dead set on I'm going to be the James Bond of the business world. You know, I'm just going to be like jet setting, crushing deals overseas. It's going to be the greatest thing. 
Um, when I started taking the time to do informational interviews with people in that industry, found out that, you know, you're spending 300 days uh, gone, 300 days out of the year gone. It's like, I, I, look, I'm a soldier. I would have taken that opportunity. If Delta Airlines had said, hey, Drew, we've got something for you. We've been waiting for a Russian speaker and a French speaker to manage our Aeroflot Air France partnership, which, you know, that's not a thing, of course. But had they said something like that, I would have- <laughs> But you'd be a perfect candidate for it. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> you're I would have I would have taken it. And then I would have suffered through three or four years of that before it either crushed my marriage completely or took so much of a toll that I was smart enough to get out of it. But here's the thing, right? This is what's most important. You don't get those four years back. Like at that point, my oldest daughter is now nine and I wasn't there from six to nine. You know what I mean? It's like, so, so how did I, how did I stop myself from making a catastrophic failure a catastrophically bad decision? I stopped by going through the commit foundation in my case, the curriculum to learn about my own values and, and, and work with a coach to say like, Hey, look, Drew, you know, yeah, it's great. You speak Russian and you got an MBA, but it sounds to me based on the tests you take, based on interactions that, that you really like serving others. You just want to serve others. You want to connect people you want to serve. And how do you argue with that when everything I've just told you essentially supports it, right? Um, so I'm trying to, I, I tell that story to, to others to replicate it for them and say, look, I'm trying to save you those bad four years. I know a lot of people who go out and take jobs that they think they're a shoo-in for because of what they've done in the past or what their credentials are or their qualifications. And they suffer through three or four years of it because that's what we do. We're soldiers. We're going to suffer through it. Right? right. And then when it becomes a breaking point, it's like, dang, man, you don't get that time back. So it's like our end state from the very beginning of starting this program has not been to get guys jobs. It hasn't been like that. They discover their values. All it really is, is we want them to start thinking about transition much further out than they are now. Drew, have you worked on, um, I, I hate structuring something because everything's different, but uh, kind of a, a little bit of a formalized platform so that others that you've helped can pay it forward. You have a system for them to emulate. Have you, has that come to fruition at this point? Not yet, but, but, but we're getting there. So we, um, I went down to seventh group down in uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida, a month and a half ago or so and did a similar talk right and the, the the turnout was was rather poor and that's okay because no one knows who i am down there and um you know i, I went through the same thing at 10th group but what we did is we invited one of their transitioning sergeants major up and we had him come to our workshop at fort bragg so we paid for his travel brought him to fort bragg he went through it for himself now we have an advocate down there and what we told him was hey look if you think this workshop is going to be beneficial to your guys let us know we'll plan it for you by the way all the time that we're doing that we're looking for guys like me who have a passion about helping others and want to continue doing it because then it's just a matter of handing off the framework. You know what I mean? Because for sure. ours, ours isn't a, isn't a curriculum the way the commit or honor foundation is, but like any process, I mean, if you're going to scale it, you have to be able to replicate it. In of course. Way. And, and you, and you just have a lot of natural intuition when it comes yeah. to this process. And as you shave off the edge, like the rough edges of it, it, it just gets better and better. Um, but somebody that has that desire, but not, maybe not the natural instinct of, of searching mm -hmm. other people out would need that framework. Right. So that's, yeah. it's kind of exciting to, to see like getting to that point where you'll put it together. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I, you said, and I, I'm going to take it to a little bit of a, uh, a niche conversation, but you talked about guys with TBIs and maybe going through a, a medical type process and transition 
give me some tips on that. Like talk through, talk through some of the conversations you've had with those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak as much as I know, because I'm not an expert on this stuff. I've learned a ton in the last, in the last six to eight months about it. Right. So, um, are you guys familiar at all with the Stella ganglion block treatment? I am, man. I'm very familiar. Okay. Okay. okay good. I'm going to, I'm going to need a crash course. We'll talk, we'll talk about yeah. it. Cause yeah, he knows nothing. He's just a warrant officer. Don't worry about him. Oh, yeah. Do you have a radio I can help you with? <laughs> all right. Here's, I mean, you know, the disclaimer is that I am not a medical professional, right? But this is how I understand it. Um, in, in your, I think it's your frontal lobe, maybe something with the word cortex, you have your amygdala, right? And your amygdala controls flight or fight response. Um, what often happens with, it's not just special operations personnel, people in high stress environments, combat, uh, who do this year after year after year, is they have essentially a hyper-stimulated amygdala, okay? Um, now you have sets of nerves that go up either side of your neck. That's called the stellate ganglion nerves. Those nerves feed the amygdala. And there's a procedure known as a stellate ganglion block. And it's a form of anesthesia that gets injected into one of these nerves that essentially resets the amygdala. And it's been used to a lot of uh, success in helping treat what the, really the, the doctor who's pioneering this technology, he calls PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury, um, because he doesn't classify it as a disorder. He's not denying PTSD exists. He's saying, from what I understand, he's saying it's overdiagnosed. In a lot of cases, you have something, an, an injury, a brain injury, a brain health issue that you can measure, observe, treat, and then observe again that it's gone. And so he's able to do that with the, with the uh, Stella ganglion block treatment. So that guy's name is Dr. Eugene Lipoff, and he's the chief of medicine for the Stella Center, which is really pioneering this, this treatment. Um, we had him down as a guest to Fort Bragg two months ago. Um, again, I told you that Paul and I are connectors. I mean, Paul essentially just, just made some calls and made this happen. This guy came down and he did grand rounds at Womack Army Medical Center, which um, if I'm not mistaken, Womack is doing more stellar ganglion blocks than anyone else in the world, um, which is easy to understand when you consider where we're located, right? So um, as popular as it is now, it's, it's not as uncommon for me to meet people who, are, who have had the treatment, um, but that's, that's, that's one aspect, right? Like when I'm talking to someone, if I get the feeling that, that if they're exhibiting symptoms or they're describing to me interactions with their wife or their kids or bad sleep and they're, they, they seem to be talking about symptoms that tell me they might be a, bit, a good candidate, then I, that's something I can suggest to them and say, hey, look, I don't know if you've gotten this done or not, or if you've heard of it, if they haven't heard of it, then it's just a matter of introducing them to, to people they respect who have had it done because it's, it's not, it's not um, this like stigma or anything. I mean, maybe it is, but once I, once I introduce them to people who are well-respected that have had it, they say it's great, right? One of the issues we're seeing is the treatment in the current form that the, that the military is doing is kind of like an antiquated method. It's like a 10 or 15 year old treatment method. Dr. Lipoff is doing it a lot differently and he's seeing success um, as, as great as in some cases they're getting the treatment and not coming back. So, you know, like at Womack, for instance, you might see guys come every three to four months, every six months, depending, you know, usually their wife is the one who tells them, hey, you're going to need to go get that shot again, because I'm starting to see things change. Um, and Dr. Lipoff's, you know, he, he said, look, if you're doing a holistic approach and you're changing the environment, you're not just going right back out the door into combat. Um, sometimes it's just one treatment with him that, that'll, that'll essentially, I mean, again, combined with a holistic approach, it'll solve the problem. Um, and that's huge. I mean, I've talked to enough guys to know that the treatment's saving lives, no question, um, but, but it's, it's bringing them back to a place where 
they can begin to focus on how to better themselves as a person because they're not stuck in that fog of just what's going on here. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't think I've personally struggled with it. So I can't tell you what it's like, but you know, down the road, if y'all want to get a guest who, who can, you know, really explain the treatment and how, what it's done for them, that's something, you know, I'm happy to, to, to link you guys up with. That'd be great. I don't want to dwell on this, but have you gotten any feedback of side effects at any point? Um, no, I mean, I haven't gotten negative feedback. There's, a, there's immediate side effects. You kind of have like a droopy face um, because it's anesthesia, right, to, to, the, to your nerves. Um, but, but that subsides. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not familiar with those, with the side effects. I'm sure there are some, um, at this point, the folks I've talked to who've had it, which we're probably talking a couple dozen, um, they've spoken very, very highly of it, it really, really positively about it. The, the issue they have is that they have to get it every three or four or five months. You know what I mean? They wish they didn't have to do that. Um, and there's multiple reasons for that. It could be antiquated treatment. Um, it could also be that they're not really engaging in a holistic approach, right? That they're not changing their environment. All right. In the case of military, right, we're going to see it as like a, a, a means of increasing readiness. Like, hey, man, we can get we can get this guy back out the door sooner now. And and I I can't speak for Dr. Lipoff, but I don't think that that's his intention. <laughs> like the steroid shot for the football player in the NFL. Yeah. So okay. And and from what I understand from what you're saying, it's that I mean you're essentially just deadening the nerves to. Uh, reduce the symptoms of the, that receptor from that injury. Is that correct? I can't. I, I can't speak to that. I don't know. Right. I've heard it described as like it's it's a it's a reset. It's not something that's numbing it that that you expect to have over time. Although that doesn't that kind of contradicts the idea that you know you have to do it every few months sometimes. So um, I don't know. But man, I'm happy to link you up with folks who can speak to. Yeah. The whole no, that's that's great, Drew. Yeah. That'd be cool. And then I, I am familiar with it, man, because. I, um, you know, when I was, when I was with the regiment, um, you know, you run across those problems and I was, I was desperately trying to find a solution or just, a, a, something I could do to help one of the, one of the Marines I was working with. Um, cause he just definitely was stuck in the past and constant anxiety, constant, you know, uh, fight or flight type of situation for him. And I came across it too, because Dakota Meyer uh, the Marine that won the Medal of Honor. Have you ever heard of him? So he had that um, okay. procedure done as well and became a huge advocate for it, uh, or at least was originally. I couldn't tell you if he is to this day. But um, I had the exact same doctor that did his procedure do the SGB shot for my Marine. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get it done. I think it was like a... It, did it for free. It was outside of the military, outside of the VA, got it done for free. Um, and I found out about it through, um, the Semperfi nurses, uh, okay. used to be with, uh, uh, Navy and Marine Corps Relief Society nurses, but now they, they moved over to the Semperfi fund and, okay. and work with that group. I don't know if that's a group that you're familiar with, but no, I, I kind of want to get you connected with those folks too. Yeah. Um, Cause they'll, they'll be great, especially for the things that you're doing. Um, and yeah, I, like I had never had a conversation where that, that guy smiled or was even remotely happy, yeah. but he went in, did that shot. And immediately after that shot, we were joking and kind of laughing in the, in the, uh, uh, parking lot afterwards. And I just, I definitely saw a complete change. So there's no medical proof there, but I know it definitely does 
does sound right. good. And yeah. I, I, I became a pretty huge uh, proponent of it as well without having any of the doctor initials behind my name to tell you that it actually works. Mm -hmm. and, and they're, I mean, we're getting there, right? I mean, it, it can be challenging because you wanna help today. You wanna solve problems today. What I can tell you is we're on the right trajectory. The right people are involved. Um, you've got people with, with resources that are behind this. Um, I think there's a documentary getting made. Um, we're on the right track to increasing awareness and increasing accessibility to the treatment and getting it right. Um, the story you just told is not uncommon, man. I mean, I, I've, I've heard stories because one of the things Dr. Lipoff is interested in too is secondary PTSI on wives because our wives suffer through this with us and they develop the same symptoms and we don't consider it. So he treats wives and they get the treatment and start crying because they, they remember, this is what I used to feel like, you know what I mean? And it's powerful. And so it's just a matter of sharing those stories, you know what I mean, to raise awareness. So again, it can be challenging because we want to solve this all today. What I can say is we're on the right track. Um, and so that's encouraging to me. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let me, uh, let me if I can, I'm going to redirect us real quick onto something while we're, while we're talking about it, right? So I got, I got linked up with this guy. You guys, as Marines, you know what the first Anglico is? Right. Okay. So I got linked up with this guy, uh, Aaron Quinones. And he was in First Anglico. I think he got out just after 9-11. Uh, and, and I don't know his story super well, but he had a rough transition um, and uh, essentially was homeless for a little while. Um, got saved and essentially said, you know, I'm, I'm going to start doing something today. And I don't know how to do much, but I know how to clean. So he, he built a, a janitorial custodial services company, right? Um, I don't, I don't know how long ago this was, but in a few years, he had a couple dozen employees, you know, and eventually he was doing very significant amounts of revenue and felt like God was telling him to continue doing that, but also focus on veterans and to really make the veteran focus more of a full-time effort. So um, we had a great conversation and he told me about something he started called Q Missions because his last name, Quinones, he, he, when he was in, in the Corps, he went by Sergeant Q. Um, so he said, yeah, what we do is, you know, we, we've got all these guys who are struggling because they go and experience traumatic events in these terrible places, right? There's austere poverty and dirt roads and, and things like that. And we see all these people that we can't help. We want to just as humans, right? Like we want to help them, but we can't. Our, our mission is something else. And then on top of that, we're witnessing traumatic events, right? We're seeing guys get killed. We're seeing bad things happen to us, whatever. Um, so he kind of theorized years ago that uh, if he can replicate a bit of that environment, that austere environment, that poverty-stricken environment, but replace it with positive experiences, you can find healing. So he starts this thing called Healing Through Service, Operation Restore Hope. Because of his experience, he went to, he went to Tijuana, Mexico, joined um, Homes, Homes of Hope, it's called. Essentially, they provide homes through Youth with a Mission. It's a mission organization, YWAM. Um, they build homes for poverty-stricken folks in Tijuana, Mexico, right? Um, he went and did a build and found incredible healing. Like that was what did it for him. You know what I mean? The way that your other buddy had the SGB treatment and felt great, this is what did it for Aaron. He's like, this is this is what's it. Now I want, I want to scale this. I want to do this. So now every Memorial Day weekend, he takes veterans down to Tijuana um, for Operation Restore Hope. And that's what he invited me to. So I took my wife with me. And a few weeks ago, we went down there with him. So I was there with all these other Marines hearing their story. Um, and he, they're presenting curriculum to these guys you know every morning we're up at six o'clock to do a devotional and then do a class on hey this is what your amygdala is this is what's going on um these are some steps for how to fix it right i mean i was blown away and then i think equally he was blown away because i'm telling him about sgb treatment that he never heard of and i said look you know there's there's so much room for collaboration here because this whole idea of healing through service 
I mean, that's, it seems like a no brainer, right? If, if you're going to do 20 years in the military, good chance that one of your core values is service, right? Like you're, you're already led, you're already leaning towards, towards service. So what's to stop you from doing that? And so, I mean, I'm personally a huge fan of what he's doing. Um, I, I told him I'd love to partner up in some way to, to kind of start an East coast office. Cause man, I've got such a network here. I've got guys that are pilots that have you know, aircraft companies, they got a dozen aircraft. We can fly guys to Panama or Haiti and do these missions. And whether we're building homes or churches or whatever, I, I agree with them that there's healing to be found through that. And when I mentioned it to other Green Berets, man, they light up. They're like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I, I could do something like that. And so it's like, all right, let, let's kick this off, right? So I want to share that with you guys because he, he, he should definitely uh, come on here and talk to y'all. Y'all have a lot in common. Absolutely. There you go. I we all do. Some of the things you say, Drew, make me just more like, walk outside up and down the street and scream <laughs> so at least my neighborhood knows it and then like somehow stand on top of the empire state building and let people know there's like hope uh yeah. with a bullhorn or something because it's like how how do we get this out how do we have these solutions out these this this help this this hope when we know that God bless it, like we've made it, uh, we've made that transition, or you're about to make that transition, you know, healthy, happy uh, life, family, um, so many haven't, like, I just want to run around and scream that there are these options and solutions and hope out there. Boil it all down, we talked a lot about this throughout the entire conversation, but if you were talking to, you run into a guy, maybe not special forces, right, just a uh, a soldier transitioning doesn't really have a lot of like what that next step is. And if he was trying to pitch what his next step is, you definitely wouldn't buy it. Um, what, if you had one thing to say to someone that you met on the streets, what would you, what would you tell a guy? What's the most important thing that they do in their transition process? Um, start, start talking to other people who've done it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, because I couldn't tell everybody, hey, you should go through the Commit Foundation or you should, you should apply for four block or, or something like that. It's not for everybody, right? There's no one size fits all. What I can say is you're not gonna know anything unless you go out and start asking questions. So start calling the people who you know who are already out and ask them where, where did they screw up and what would they have done better? You know what I mean? Like let's, you talk about replacing the gunny and like the squad and the team and all that. Well, you, you have to start that. It might, that onus might be on you unless you've got a friend who's good enough to just you know, grab you around the, the neck and shepherd you through that whole process. You have to build it for yourself. And that's what I awesome. did, man. Like the funny thing is that was how I reached out to Paul. Now we're great friends. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's been an incredible blessing because yeah. I think the guy's great. I've learned a ton from him, but that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't just sent him a LinkedIn connection request that, Hey, um, would love to just come by and chat sometime. And so I would say to anyone who's getting ready, just start, start talking to people, talk to strangers, talk to everybody. Um, you know, man, people, people want to help for the most part, right? Like people want to help explain, explain what you're going through and, and where you're at and where your concerns are. And that's how you start finding out that, oh, there's a nonprofit that will help me. Like, I want to be a, um, you know, I want to coach baseball for my son. Well, there's a, you know, soldiers to sidelines. There's a nonprofit that'll help you learn how to become a coach. You know what I mean? Like you don't learn those types of things unless you're going out and meeting and talking with people. Uh, Drew, it's a, it's a powerful question. Cause if somebody hears this, they'll, they'll understand right away. My immediate action is connect with somebody that's made the transition. Mm -hmm. um, what if uh, you, have, you, know, you have five minutes or less with this individual uh, and they say, 
I wouldn't even know where to start. Everybody I know that's gotten out is a source of negativity and bad news. Do you have anyone to call? Do you, how do I find that person that's made the, that transition military veteran that's positive? Cause I, I've got a lot of bad ones. I don't have a lot of good ones. I give him my card. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. So I, I do this with my personal finance classes, right? One, one of the things I tell people is, Hey, you know, it, it helps to have a smart friend, someone, one of your friends who's smart on finances. And then I put it's as a joke, it's tongue in cheek, but it's true. I put it in the bottom of the slide. I'll be your smart friend. If you don't have one, like mm -hmm. if you don't know where to start. That's awesome. Like, that's awesome. That you asked that question. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I literally, I literally, went, as I hear you speak, I realize that there needs to be a, a Drew or maybe hundreds of them in every state. So you can, no matter who you run into, you can say, here's your smart guy in Ohio. Here's your smart guy in Toledo. Here's your smart guy in Albuquerque. And it'd be fantastic to have a network of Drews nationwide, uh, even, if you, even if you couldn't be that source for them at that point in time. I love it. Hey, look, I'll, I'll, I'll plug another organization that, that I think is awesome, right? Uh, Team Red, White, and Blue. I don't know if y'all have heard of it at all. Mm. Um, okay, so it's like the largest collection of, or the largest membership base of post-9-11 veterans, right? I think it's larger than the VFW if you look at post-9-11 vets. Um, and it, it's, it's the VFW minus the smoking, drinking, and the bars. It's, it's a, it, the focus is on wellness. It's not about... It's not about sitting in a bar and telling the stories and, and being disgruntled. I shouldn't, I shouldn't characterize VFW. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's like, anybody who hears this will forgive you because there's enough truth to it <laughs> to make it just yeah, a good yeah. joke. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to say that because I've never been in one. I don't know. It's just, it's the impression I get, right? So no, that's, that, uh, you're right. I've been in a few. <laughs> <laughs> but not because I've been in something like that. VFW <laughs> is like, um, you know, it's it's localized. They've got deputized leadership across the entire country, really across the entire world. So there's chapters that get together to go on runs. They bring their families and do garbage cleanup. They'll meet at a park to do something. So it's like, it's a focus on wellness. The creator is a guy named Mike Irwin. He's a Lieutenant Colonel in the reserves. Um, someone else that that you might wanna have on if, if he can spare the time. Um, he's a friend, great guy. Um, we're not close friends. It's someone Paul introduced me to. Um, but he lives in, he, he's in the local area. So um, for me, he's accessible and I've learned a lot from him. Um, but that organization I think would be a great start because if someone can be vulnerable enough to download the app, join the organization and then attend an event in their, in their local area, then they're going to meet people, right? Because now they're, they're exposed to other people who have, that's, they're not negative about transition. These are people who are thriving, who are doing things to uphold their wellness and also reconnect back to a military tribe. You know what I mean? Because that's what we're going to miss. We're going to miss that, that connection with the, with that tribe. So it's like, man, they're all over the country. I would, I mean, I'm not just saying it to plug them. I would say, look, if I only had five minutes, register for team RWB, get your free shirt and then be at the next meeting, which is usually like a run or something like go and hang out with them. And then that's, that's, that starts the conversation. That's where people start telling you about, Oh, have you heard of Stella Ganglienbach or Hey, have you heard about um, the, the commit foundation? That's how you start learning that stuff. You can join yeah. as an activity service member. That I think that'd be a great first start. So another question, kind of deviate. I, um, you know, and it, just really asking the question, like, what does mental health mean to you? And the reason I'm going to say it like that is uh, guys that are in a bad spot or maybe suffering through some anxiety or some PTSD, some of those things, often they think they're kind of alone and no one else 
feels that, especially when they see someone who seems put together and on top of things, they assume that they don't have those problems too. And I know that that's not true. Um, what, um, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, not surprisingly, it's, 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 it's really complex and I hesitate to talk a lot about anything I'm not an expert on. Right. So I think you've got the issue of mental health and then you've got the issue of brain health. And I think because there's so much blurry um, space between the two, because I think we're calling things mental health when it really might be brain health, right? This idea of invisible wounds, I believe that's a thing. But I also know there's, you know, if Dr. Lipoff is correct, which I assume he is, um, this is something you can measure in the brain and treat in a way that we haven't really been treating, right? We, we, we like to give people drugs and, and then cut them a check for the rest of their lives. And, and I think we know by now that's just not working, right? Like it's just not working. And so, um, but for mental health, man, I, I guess I look at it as like, one, you're able to, um, of course, to function, right, in life. But more than that, you're able to kind of overcome the adversity that life will throw at you. And then I guess like the, the, the upper tier of that would be you're the person that people will look to when they're experiencing that adversity, right? Um, it's like, that, that, that's, that's why you want to thrive, right? If someone asks, well, what's the point of all this? It's like, because life can suck sometimes, right? It's going to get tough. You're, you know, if your parents haven't passed away, at some point, your parents are going to pass away. Do you want to be a mess? Or do you want to be the person that your brothers and sisters like lean on, you know, and do you want to support them? Because that's, that's, in my opinion, what we're here to do is serve each other. And so um, I look at mental health as like, I guess, like a tiered, almost a tiered structure where it's like the basics are okay, you can function and, and, and do your job and, and go to sleep and things like that. And then as you get up there, it's like, how well can you overcome adversity? And then how well can you help others to get through it? But but, it, you know, I can't speak to like the, the biochemistry of it all because I just don't understand it enough. And, and I haven't, I mean, I've had people tell me, you know, oh, Drew, you definitely have PTSD. And it's like, okay, well, I went to behavioral health and she told me no way. She's like, you know, I wish, I hope, I hope you're helping other people because that's what you need to be doing. You know, sharing your experiences and helping others. I'm like, well, why are people telling me I have it, you know? And, and behavioral health is saying, well, you know, it's, it's not an actual diagnosis. It's just people saying that because they know you've seen terrible things and in their eyes, it's not possible to not have it after that. And how that manifests in everybody is different, right? I don't have nightmares, for instance. Some guys that have been through less traumatic experiences have nightmares. Well, I'm, I'm not in the business of comparing suffering. Like that's very, very real for them. What can I do to help them overcome that and get through that and return to a place of, of mental normalcy where they're thriving? Uh, man, I, I just don't know. It's it's tough. That's that's really tricky stuff. I, I'd love to learn more about it because I want to help. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to community and faith. You know what I mean? And, and hope. Um, I think community solves a lot of problems. You know, getting plugged into a good tribe of, of other men that care about you, men, women. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, but but just replacing that squad that you were on or that team, uh, in some way, I think that's a that's a great first step. Um, just because that's I think that's where we thrive best, right? I think I think you just nailed on something that uh, that it's the reason, at least for a Marine, why it's God, family, country, core. And if you remove the family and God, there isn't much left. So I uh, those that have seen perhaps have had those experiences where you're surprised that it was challenging to overcome. Um, I, I would almost venture to guess that 99 percent of the time it's because there is no God and there is no family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. My question to you is, what is your, your biggest need right now? Um, and I'm saying it like that because I think going back to it, 
Drew, you're doing some cool stuff. And as, as you transition, you're going to need people in your life um, to help you execute the things that you want to want to do in this world. And so I like I like hearing what people need because as, as you know, a veteran here to this podcast and like says, hey, Drew seems like a hell of a guy. I don't know what I want to do with my transition, but guess what? We do have these benefits because we're veterans. A lot of guys get out and have the GI bill and maybe they're going to go to college for a few years, but have some extra time on their hand. Um, maybe they get out of medical retirement, but know all the things that you're talking about and would love to, to get in and help in those matters. Like, what do you need? Like, if you're thinking about what you need in your life, what are, what are some of those needs? Well, the first one you can't give me cause it's time. Um, People can give you time, my friend delegation yeah. yeah that's true that's something I'll, I'll learn a lot from paul because i've never had to really delegate in that sense um what drives us the most is um is, is stuff like this right people continuing to meet people and so um it's hard for me to say that there's a need because i feel like i'm still catching up it's like okay we got you know we're trying to keep up with all this stuff that's coming towards us um if I told you that there was there was a multimillionaire standing by to provide us a permanent endowment to run this organization on the outside, you probably wouldn't be surprised, right? And if I told you there was like a couple of those guys, you'd be like, oh, wow. That's that's where we're at. That's really where we're at with this. And so what I think we will need um, as we look to help more people is um, the, the, the concept of scaling this, the scalability of it, right? Is we need people who are willing to share their experiences. We need people who are willing to like take an hour out of their day every couple of weeks or every week or whatever they can spare to be kind of on a list of, hey, I'll take a call from a veteran, right? That, that, that's a big deal. Or I'll take a call from a service member who's getting ready to transition. Um, that, that's, how I, that's how I learned about what I didn't want to do. I would have, like I said, I would have taken that Delta Airlines job had I not talked to enough people who did stuff like that. Combination between understanding my own values and motivations and then understanding what that job really looked like that's what helped me make that decision, right? I don't know if y'all, um, if you're familiar with the service called Veterati. You, you've seen that? No. Okay, it's basically a platform where, where um, anyone can sign up to be a mentor. They select their own availability. They put in a phone number and then it'll pair them up with transitioning service members who sign up for the platform and want to reach out to people in a specific industry for coaching and mentoring. So it's free. It's like, hey, I wanna, I wanna become a project manager. I go in and fill out a quick profile on this service. It connects me with, 20 project managers or 50 or 100. And I pick which ones I want to talk to. It shows me their availability. The service calls us both at that agreed upon time. We have an hour long call. I've just jump started my networking and I've learned a little bit about what project management looks like in that specific industry where that person works. Like I did 15 hours or 15 calls of those a week during quarantine last year because I didn't know. Everyone's like, Drew, you should be a financial advisor. And I'm like, great. I started talking to 15 financial advisors a week and realized I do not want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I tell you what, guys, like, I would have, I would have gone through a curriculum to become one had I not had that information. So, um, so yeah, like, as we try to, you know, we, we talk about like, cust I think it's customer relationship manager, right, or management CRM. We always use the acronym CRM. Like, that's what I need. I need a way to, can't just keep it all up here in this noggin. You know, like Paul and I are always talking. How do we, how do we capture this data in a way that's accessible so we can scale it? So like. You know, when, when Bill comes to me and Bill says, hey, I want to do something with, with I don't know, right? He, he names, he names I want to do something with construction and I want to serve others. How do, how do I know that I can pair him up with Aaron Quinones, you know, to, to learn about that organization? And then whatever else. Um, 
that that's what I need. And I don't and that's some that's not necessarily something someone can give me. Um, it's just a matter of, of figuring out what the system is that's going to be best to do it. Dude, that was really great. I uh, I don't have anything more for now. Just out of respect for your time and ours, we can move on about our day. But I, I really hope you have a blessed day, man. And I look forward to connecting again in the near future. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Um, come and, you know, chat again sometime. No problem. Sure. <laughs> That's a wrap, man. All right, brother. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, we didn't even talk about personal finance in our... In no, we didn't. Not one damn time. Yeah. Not one damn time. Oh. You could fill another 45 minutes with that easily. Yeah, that, round two. Absolutely. Round two. Ding, ding, ding. We should have a round two to this. That will be our follow-up then, Drew. Yeah. Once we make it through a couple of more, we should have one particularly that can saddle this one. That'd be awesome. Okay.